0: That's probably long enough to have you singing that in the car on the way home, right? That's what I was doing in the shower this morning. My wife, I'm sure she was like, what? I'm Marley and Marley. Anyway, kids, you can go downstairs. Uh, You can ask your parents what that had to do with today's sermon. Uh, Hopefully, if they're paying attention, they will be able to tell you. Um, For those of us kids who are going to stay up here, um, you obviously know at this point that that was Scrooge, right? Uh, That's a famous... Uh, musical, and of course the Muppets did a stellar job uh, with that. But this video of Scrooge, uh, we are talking about the seven deadly sins, right? And like I say every time, uh, every single sin is deadly, not just these seven. But of course, as we're going through this series, the one that we're going to talk about this morning is, yes, you guessed it, avarice or greed, right? And that's what Marley and Marley said: the avarice and greed, and that's that's their names. That's what they were famous for in the English language. The word avarice reveals a sin that is closely related to greed, stinginess, miserliness, and covetousness. And that's why I'm using the word avarice instead of just greed. I think uh, it tends to cover a little bit more ground than otherwise, right? And so in Proverbs 21:26 uh, 26 is, is maybe what we would call one of the proof texts. There's two that we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to ex- expand on avarice. All day long he craves and craves but the righteous gives and does not hold back. And then also in uh, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Uh, well, there was an eccentric um, entrepreneur adventurer. His name was Harry Lassiter. He walked into the Sydney, Australian office in 1931, and he cornered three promoters of the local, you know, government and officials and stuff, and he told them this fantastic tale that so fired their imaginations that they funded an adventure and it never occurred to them that the man might just simply be unbalanced. Um, he stated that a lone prospector in the barren back country. Thirty years ago, had discovered a chain of rocks that he was certain contained. And, and get this. And this should have been their. This should have been their red flag. Um, Five billion dollars worth of gold. It's a lot of gold. Believing him, these promoters organized an expedition led by Lasseter, set out to claim this fabulous treasure trove. As he failed to find it, after a search of many months, the leaders ordered that their party return home, having realized that the reef existed only in the man's imagination. Although Lassiter himself uh, partly admitted it, he continued on alone, and he eventually died of thirst out there in the Australian outback. To stop others from making the same mistake, the hoax was given considerable publicity over the Australian newspaper, and yet within the next few years, ten other expeditions... 10 others continued to go and find this imaginary treasure and it ended up costing the Australian government approximately $2 million over those endeavors. This is the foolishness of avarice and of greed. Greed inevitably hurts us and those around us. God desires that we be content with what he has given us and so Christians must cultivate generous hearts so that we don't hoard God's gifts and or exploit other people. Now, before we pray and jump into uh, the points that I want to flesh out for you as we talk about avarice, I want to start by telling you this is not a sermon so that you give more to Allegan Bible Church. This is simply a sermon to warn us about the subtleties of greed in our own lives. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for your generosity. And When we say that, so often we just simply think of tangible things, that you have given us the fruit of the field that we may eat of it, that you have given us the fat of the calf that we may eat of it. But yet there is a treasure beyond our wildest dreams that you have given freely that you humbled yourself, God of the entire universe, and made yourself man and dwelt among us so that you might take our sin upon your account and deposit your righteousness in the account of all those who would believe. God, that is generosity. And as our brother said, freely we have been given, freely we ought to give. So help us as we look at this text, as we look at avarice, as we look at greed, as we look at covetousness, as stinginess and those kind of things. God, I pray that you would help us to see this for more than just a sermon on finances. And that you, through your spirit, would reveal the dark areas of our heart where we are holding tightly to that which truly belongs to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, If you're a note-taker, there are notes, there are uh, things that you can fill in. If you're not a note-taker, that's okay. Most of the scripture I'm going to have on the screen in front of you, and it's because we're going to be uh, going through it fairly rapidly, uh, so you can just do your best to hold on. First question is, what is avarice? Now, I covered that a little bit with the definition, but I want to dig down a little deeper. And so the first answer I have for you is, first of all, it's a sin of idolatry. And that might sound... Big to you, but, but I want to explain that uh, when we are greedy for gain and when we're uh, stingy with other folks, really what we're saying is, is that we are more worthy, which is really serving the little g in our own hearts, right? Uh, I don't give because I don't care as much for them as I do for myself. Uh, Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness which is idolatry. So any of those things are idolatry because they're all talking about the same thing. They're earthly, they're fleshly. We are serving the creature rather than the creator. He has given us all these things in all those different areas, but we twist them and we use them for our own benefit rather than for benefiting others. And so scripture teaches us in Colossians that firstly, uh, greed and avarice and stinginess, this is really a sin of idolatry. Who is our God? And then because of that, it's also a sin against God. Now we see that most clearly, probably, if you're uh, thinking uh, the way that I was, is in Exodus 20 verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You see, all sin is against God. And when we are greedy for those things that are not ours, when we are seeking to hold forth that which we have been given as a steward to not give to other folks. Uh, then this is ultimately all sin is against God, right? So not only is it a, a selfish sin of idolatry, it's a sin against God, and it's a sin that causes much trouble. That's the end of all sin, is it not? And so we tend to think, you know, hey, this is this is one of those secret sins, isn't it? Um, we uh, old theologians have long since said, hey, you show me your pocketbook, right, and I'll show you who you serve. And now I know there's there's a whole there's a there's a there's a big umbrella of generations in here, right? Uh, There's a generation of checkbook balancers and check writers, and there's a generation of apple payers, right? And it goes all the way through all of those things, right? But the fact remains, you show me your balance book, and I'll show you what you serve, right? Uh, Because we see that this is a secret sin. We often think to ourselves, hey, nobody has to know how much I give or where I give it to or any of those things, but for whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, You see, any time there is greed, it causes trouble because we neglect that which we shouldn't neglect. If I'm greedy in my own household, it causes me to neglect my children or my wife for the things that I should be stewarding for them. If I'm greedy when it comes to tithing or offering, and again, I need to make this clear, this is not a sermon about you giving to Allegan Bible Church. Uh, I I don't care if you uh, come here or not or wherever church you call home. We ought to not be stingy with this. It causes trouble. I'm here to tell you uh, and, and to, I guess, uh, let me be careful how I say this. I'm here to encourage you and praise our Lord in this congregation, but also to share with you some sorrow from other congregations. Uh, the, the board, and, and they'll, they'll tell you, and uh, we talked about this over the years, but during COVID, we as a board, we as a church, we expected tithes and offerings to go down. Well, we expected that. Do you know what happened? It went up. Yeah, you remember that, right? We we reported on that. I I can tell you as a fact, other churches, other pastors that I talked to, they did not have that same outcome. And so this sin of greed, of avarice in in other congregations caused trouble for those pastors, for those churches. So the next question, uh, what is the extent of avarice? What's the extent of this greed? Uh, Well, firstly, we need to see that it reaches to all of us. This is not just for the mature or the unmature. It's not just for the rich or for the poor. You see, in in Jeremiah 6.13, it says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. So this is not something that I'm up here preaching to y'all about. This is something that I'm up here preaching to myself about, and you're in the therapy session. Isn't that nice? (laughs) And so what it says in the text here is that from the least to the greatest, it doesn't matter if you're pauper or prince. We all have this desire to hoard that which is ours. We are all tempted by the sin. This is the sin that uh, I believe tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. They wanted that which was not theirs to have. They wanted more than what they originally were given and what they originally possessed. In First 1 Samuel 159, I don't know if that's on here, is it? Yeah, it is. So Saul and the people. So not just the king, but the serfs. And I don't know if you remember when we went through First Samuel. I know it's been a little while, but they were told by uh, Samuel. They were told, hey, when, when you go in here, you need to destroy everything. All of it needs to be dedicated to destruction. And Saul and the people, they spared Agag, this wicked king, and they spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And do you know why they did that? Because they were the best. I've got no problem devoting to destruction that which we can't use for ourselves anyway. That's trash anyway. We'll get rid of that anyway. But Saul, who was called by God to be king and the people, who also knew this. They went along with this. We see this same kind of greed in Kings when it when it talks about David and Bathsheba. Now, of course, lust is a whole other one of these seven sins that, that we're going to talk about as, as we go here. But part of that was greed. David wanted that which was not his. And he sought to keep that which was not his. I want you to see also it reaches far beyond our money. We started that conversation. I, I want to camp on that just for a little bit longer. Uh, Firstly, I'll take you back to Exodus where it says, you shall not covet all these things. You see them in bold there before you. House, wife, male servant, female servant, donkey, and then it stops with anything. You see, like I said, often when we think of greed, we often just think of people like Scrooge. We think of people who who are miserly, in fact, if we're, if we're, I think, being honest, at least for myself. Remember, you're in the therapy session for me. Whenever I think of greedy people, I think of those people who are wealthy. I always tend to think of the people who have more money than I do, and then I'm like, yeah, look at those greedy people who have more money than I do. And I'm not saying that this is for sure what we should always do, but then when I'm in the fast food lane or I'm in the hardware store, Or I'm driving down the road and I see somebody with the sign and they ask me, do you want to round up for whatever? I often say, no. Oh, you say yes, good for you. Good for you. This is my therapy session, remember? I say no, often. It says here that it's anything. It's not just money, though. You see, I think often we're greedy with our time and you've heard the saying time is money often we're we're greedy we're stingy with with forgiveness people offend us and we think to ourselves and that that what you did that's more than what i can forgive even though i look at my own life and i see the sins that i've committed before a just, righteous, holy, perfect judge, and he has forgiven me, but then I, I look at your sin and I look at you and I say, yeah, that's, that's a little far out there. We're stingy with our compassion. We hear stories about people and we immediately, instead of thinking, man, that is hard and my heart breaks for you, we, we probably think something like, well, you know, um, what did you do to get yourself in that situation? Where's, where's your ownership of that we're stingy with our talent we have gifts that God has given us that we know we have and yet the rest of the body we we hide those we're stingy with patience anybody ever been a parent you know sometimes we're stingy with patience and it's not just parents, is it? Anybody ever been a child? Anybody ever had a sibling? Uh, anybody ever been married or known anybody who is married? I, I, I think I've covered us. <laughs> Here's the worst. Are you ready for this? This, this hurts. Sometimes we're stingy with the gospel. You know, there has been times where I have felt a, a call, a prick, a whatever to, to share the gospel with somebody and then instead I have decided either I don't have the time to, I don't know where this conversation is going to go so I don't really have the time to get into that or hey, I don't know this person that well and so I'm not sure. So it's a, it's a fear of man thing. It's a time thing. It's a, my own education or my own lack of confidence in myself, not trusting in the Holy Spirit but I don't know about you, sometimes I'm stingy with the gospel and that hurts. And Paul says this uh, about, about this sin. He said, this season opportunity through this commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. And so uh, before we move on to the next head, it reaches from the least to the greatest and it reaches more than just money. And so where does this come from? Well, of course, the easy answer is from our hearts, right? And you're you're absolutely right. And and we're gonna get there, but I wanna flesh this out too. And so the first thing I want to talk about is it comes from self-love. This is this idolatry issue, right? So it's because we love ourselves. Look at 2 Timothy 3 2, for people will be lovers of self lovers of money. And then because of those things, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and the list goes on from there. But because people are lovers of self, they will then love money. And the reason that they love the money is because it gives themselves something. It either represents power or it represents security or it represents possession um, because money is only like, you know, they used to give like chickens and shells and like gold pieces and stuff like we've got paper money and so that's fine, but it represents the value of something behind it. So we exchange that, what we perceive as value for something else that we perceive as value. I'm teaching you guys how money works, like you don't know. But because we're lovers of self, we're selfish for gain. And, and ultimately, that comes out of selfish desires, right? That's self-love is this desire for one's self over others. Matthew 25, 8 through 9. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some oil, for our lamps are about to go out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy from for yourselves. And often when we hear this text preached, we hear it talking about preparing for the Lord, right? The Lord's going to come, be ready. And while that's not wrong, it strikes me on the other end, these, these that did have enough oil also said to themselves, No, go buy your own. We're not going to share with you. James 4 uh, 2 through 3 says, your desi- You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So we're greedy for that. We covet and cannot obtain, and we don't have because we don't ask. But even if we did ask, the Lord knows that we only want to spend it on ourselves. Luke twelve fifteen, and he said to them, take care to be on your guard against all covetousness For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions." So you know this parable of the virgin and their lamps. You may know this parable where it's talking about this person who came. It's not a parable, really, it's a situation. And then he tells a parable. Somebody came up to him and said, hey, hey, Jesus, uh, be the mediator for me. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. So, Jesus, be the mediator for us. Tell my, tell my brother, tell my sibling to split the inheritance with me, right? And then he goes on to tell this parable about the, the rich man in his barns. And he, his barns were so full of stuff. He says, hey, what shall I do? I know what I'll do. I'll say to my soul, soul everything's good, let's build a bigger barn, we'll store up more stuff, and then it says, you fool, don't you know that tonight your soul is gonna be desired of you? Or required of you, I should say. And again, to to tie in what we talked about before, from the least into the greatest and the selfish desires, even the apostles themselves dealt with this. Remember, they, they came to Jesus and they said, hey, when you're in your kingdom, me and my brother, how about I sit on your right and he sits on your left? And so you're right, and here's where it is. It comes from our hearts. It comes from inside of us. Mark seven twenty one, the one that we've been going to for most of these, right? For within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery. And then Romans, again, going back, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. We have other stories in Scripture too. Matthew chapter 12, it's that famous section of the widow's might, right? She gave in two coins equaling a penny and all these other people. It says that Jesus was sitting and he was watching people come in and give their offerings. And it says before the the widow, it says, and many wealthy people came in and gave great sums. And the apostles were watching too. And then he makes this statement about how she gave more than anybody else. And it was because she gave all that she had to live on. And we have other stories like Ananias and Sapphira. They went and sold a field or a plot of land and they came in and they gave a portion. And they were trying to be deceptive. And 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 by the way, it wasn't even about that. Like if you've heard sermons on giving, again, this is this is not one, this is a warning section for us. But if you're so convicted to that, then, then that's between you and God. But but the point that they were making on that section there is that look it's your field. You, you can feel free to keep some back. That's fine. The point was is that they were lying to the Lord about what they were giving. They were lying to their brothers and sisters in Christ. They were lying to the apostles who were collecting for the others. It comes from their heart. Avarice is, is, is dangerous. Greed is dangerous, uh, not only because it's a sin in general, but because of the things it does. Like I said, it, it caused Adam and Eve to sin. But more than that, and we we see that in in Genesis 3. She took of the fruit, she ate, she also gave some to her husband. She was greedy for that which was not hers. She was greedy for knowledge. She was greedy for power. She was greedy for position. Adam was too. He's, He's no less guilty. In fact, we believe more guilty because he's the one who was given this commandment and he did nothing to intervene. He just allowed the chain of events to happen. But think of where they were. They were created in his image. Nothing else was. He created all things, but he created humans specifically in his image. He created all the, or He made all the other things to come before him, so see what they would name them. So they had dominion over all these things. They had perfect bodies. The older we get, the more we can appreciate that. Amen. Uh, but they were created his image. They had perfection. There was abundance. They were in, I mean, I know some of y'all in here are farmers, right? And, and, and I'm not a farmer, but I have a garden. And I hate weeding that thing. It is terrible. Um, So I put down weed barrier. Um, I put down weed barrier, so I have to weed less. I still have to weed some. Here's a side note, just fun for you to have an insight into our family. So my wife, uh, she didn't want to do the weed barrier the first year. And so I was like, that's fine. I'll I'll oblige you. That's fine. Uh, We'll see. But just so you know, like, I don't want to weed your section. And so I put down all the weed barrier for my section. And then that poor lady was out there. On her hands and knees, just for hours. Don't worry, I did renig on my uh, on my staunch spot there, and the kids helped too. But she had an awful lot. And then, and then, believe it or not, you know, the next year she said, "Do you have um Do you have extra weed barrier?" So, <laughs> but in the Garden of Eden, there were no weeds. And this was not a garden that Adam and Eve even planted. It was ready for them. They were dropped into this magnificent garden that produced fruit in season all the time with no weeding. Abundance, sufficient, full of blessing. And yet greed. And they took more. And that's bad, because now we suffer, right? We're, we're all the fruit of Adam and Eve's, and we are equally as guilty. And, and some of us think, well, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you would, bro. You would. You would, sis. Uh, but, but it also, it causes denial of God. And, and this is uh, bad, too, because as Christians, as we seek to share with others, or, or for us, we need to be on guard. It says in Proverbs 38 and 9, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so in his wisdom, he understood the same thing we ought to understand. How many of us are guilty regularly of only coming to God when the storm is hitting and as soon as clear water happens, we tend to be forgetful. It's always in the valley that we're crying out. It's, it should be more in the mountaintop. It causes denial of God when we are so blessed, when we are having our security in ourselves, in our finances, we forget our need for God. Is that not what happened with Jesus when he came the first time? It was the scribes and the Pharisees. It was the wealthy and the educated and those who had all these blessings and all this honor and all this prestige. They were secure in and of themselves. It was the broken and the beaten and the dirty and the ones who understood their need that Jesus was able to speak to and to save and to heal. It also, it causes people to reject God's invitation. In Luke fourteen eighteen, it says that they all like began to make excuses. This is when Jesus is calling to them. He says, uh, I, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Please uh, have me excused. Or I want to bury, bury my father who's passed away. Or I want to go do this. Or I'd like to get married. Or I'd like to spend time with my family because I just got married. Or, you know, I, I don't know, all kinds of different things. But they begin to make excuses for following the Lord. We can do that too. You know, I don't know if you guys know this. This is another, sometimes up here, like I don't know how much I should share personally and how much I shouldn't share personally. I don't know why I said that, but now you know. And I'm still not gonna share, we're gonna move on. (laughs) Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, right? And he says, who makes me judge over you? Oh, we have the rest, good. He said, take care to be on your guard against all covetousness. One's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions, but we certainly think so. Don't we have a saying here that whoever dies with the most toys wins? No, whoever dies with the most toys has kids that have to clean out your barns and your storage lockers, right? And who have to sell things on Facebook and eBay and have garage sales. Or whoever dies with the most toys ends up leaving all of that to the government who has to then come through and and they get all of that. And with the way everything's going, that's great. Let's bless them and give them more money, right? I mean, they're using it so well for all these different kinds of things. (laughs) Verse 16, he says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of this rich man, right? And so I I just told you that too, so we're going to, Get over that, but he says, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is gonna be required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Mark 10, 20, 21 through 22, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I want you to see that, meditate on that later. I love you, Not as much as Jesus does, but I'm I'm gonna try. I need you to pray for me and I will try, okay? And I hope that y'all love each other as much as Jesus does too, and that you will try and that we can pray for one another to do that. And part of what that means is we're gonna love each other enough to tell each other the truth and not pull punches. And sometimes it's gonna hurt. And I need that and you need that because that's what love is. And we're not gonna be a church that's just gonna say, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. You don't have to change, everything's good. You just come on in and and Jesus is just gonna have you however he's gonna have you and you don't have to change. No, 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 there is a requirement. He says, be holy for I am holy. And we can't do that, but we need Christ to teach us and to conform us and to continue to move us. But Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He said, this is what you lack. Go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And this is what this man did. He disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It causes people to deny and to not accept the invitations of God. Beware. He wants us to have treasures. He wants us to have treasures. He wants us to have those treasures in heaven. You see, as a Christian, Christ bids us to come and die. That's the invitation. That is not a prosperity gospel. That's a poverty gospel. Because we have to understand that we are poor in our righteousness, and we must have our accounts filled by someone else. And when we understand that, What is a few dollars here and there? If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down because I'm not going to read this text, but I I would like you to. I would like for you to read Psalm 94, 3 through 9, and I would also like you to read Psalm 10. And the reason those are there, I'll give you a little insight as to why I have those here, even though I'm not going to read through them all for you because that's a lot of text for us to do. Is because sometimes as Christians we can look at the world around us and we can we can have the thought of, why do I keep trying to be so good for God all the time when all those bad people seem to be blessed? Why do I keep putting myself through obedience and subjugation to Christ when it seems like those who are unsubject to Christ seem to have all the things that that I kind of want too? Be reminded, brother or sister, that the end for them is not the end you desire. And we need to be reminded of that sometimes in texts like Psalm 10 or Psalm 94, three through nine. So if you would like to read those on your own, I, I, I would like you to too. But it also, it causes some to actually depart from the faith. And this is where it should also matter to us. As, as I preach to a room full of people, I, I assume that many of you, you are either know Christ or you're close to knowing Christ. And so it can cause some of us to depart from the faith. So I wanna encourage you not to depart from the faith. It says in 1 Timothy, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yes, and that's the one we quote. But we don't end with the other part. Through its craving, some have wandered away from the faith. Think of how dangerous this is. These people sell their souls for stuff. They are pierced with many pains. Y'all have been good to my wife and I, and you are financially providing for us. But I'm also, I want to tell you, you can't go into ministry for money. It's a call. You dare not go into ministry for money. Paul talks about those who would go into ministry for money thinking it's some means of gain. And he says basically, woe to them. And so uh, this is where we really need to get to, right? Um, How how can we cure this? and, And then what happens after this is cured? So we're gonna go quickly through this. But how can it be cured? Obviously, uh, we need Christ, but, but we also need to set our affections on these heavenly things, Christ being the main of those heavenly things, but also the teachings of him. It tells us in Colossians 3, 2-6, through 6, "...set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. For we have died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory." Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. That's where the text is. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so he tells us where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. This momentary life, we must use it to focus on eternity. We already have an inheritance in the Lord. Ephesians, when we just went through this, he has given us the inheritance of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The streets are paved with gold, people. I mean, what can you possibly want? Each of us has our own mansions. We sing of them, right? He's going to prepare a place for you. I I, I don't actually know if we'll each have our own mansions. That's just kind of the way that we put it because it's the richness of heaven. Don't judge me on my theology of a song. Anyway, and not only that, but we have that inheritance already because we're living in the already and the not yet. So we may not experience that here on earth. We might be poor here on earth. We might be needy here on earth. But in Christ, we have all of those things. Think of the rich man and Lazarus. We must treasure Jesus above all else. Mark 8, 34 through 36, he, he called them to him and he said, if you would come after me, pick up your cross and follow me. But So not only do we have to think on heavenly things and keep our minds focused on heavenly things, we also have to be content with what we have currently. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free of the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so the question over this whole sermon is simply this. If, If you wanted to distill this entire sermon into one question, it would be this. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Or do we need that house or that car or that tool or that Whatever, whatever. That skirt or that bag or those shoes or that makeup or that piano or that, I don't know. We must be constant in prayer for this kind of heart. Now, it's okay to desire blessings of the Lord, it's okay to desire things. We just can't make them first and forefront. Well, I also want to encourage you not to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Amen. Because there are people who are perishing around us. And so, although that is where our heart should be and where our treasure should be, we also must be able to witness and share with those who are here. So what happens when it's cured? This is the hope that you've been waiting for. Are you ready? This is what happens when it's cured through the blood of our Savior Christ Jesus through the renewing of our mind. Firstly, we're going to have a renewed mind for God. Romans twelve two 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Don't you want to know what the will of God is? I do. I would love to know what the will of God is. And then when I know what the will of God is, I want to be dead center wherever that is. Because, baby, that ship that ship's sailing, and that's where I want to be. So don't you want to know what the will of God is? He says we need to have our, our, our minds renewed. And so when we think on heavenly things, the Holy Spirit renews our minds. When we keep the word of God before us in our forefront, he is using it to wash us. Christ wants to give himself a bride that is washed with the word. And so this world is perishing with its desires, and so therefore we need to have our minds renewed. We will see the needs of others when we are not focused on ourselves. We will have contentment when we are focused on heavenly things there will be a walk worthy of God. Don't you want to walk worthy of God? Don't you want to, in the end here, well done, good and faithful servant? Uh, Don't you want for other people to see your life and glorify your Father in heaven because of the works that you are doing that you can only do through the Spirit? That you can then turn all of that over to praise? Would that not bring you fullness of joy? In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, by this We know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not live in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And again, verse 18, we quote all the time, and we forget that it is on the back of if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and doesn't round up at the grocery store, right? Right? Or, however, that applies to you first thessalonians twelve two we exhort one another to encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Think of the good Samaritan; he was the least likely in Jesus' story. That's the whole point behind it. He was the least likely, and he was the one who acted righteously. Here's the other thing that'll happen when avarice is cured by the Holy Spirit, that we, there will be generosity. Where there was once greed, he will replace that with generosity. 1 Timothy 6:17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes in uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves. In a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And again, when we understand our poverty before the Lord and we understand the deposit he has made in our account, generosity should be second nature. And again, not just generous with our money. This is not a sermon just about money. Be generous with your time. People are created in God's image. Give the time to them. God has lavished you with talents. Be generous with your talents. God has given you compassion. Be generous with it. God has redeemed you through his gospel. Be generous with it. And if that's not enough selling point for you, here's here's how we're going to close there's going to be joy in this giving. Remember Scrooge. You know, they got, here's the thing. I want to encourage you. Anytime you watch anything, what you need to do is be thinking to yourselves, where is scriptural truth in this? Because nobody can invent anything, right? And so the whole thing about Scrooge was, and we know this, was that that transformation that could only happen to him is not by the three spirits that visited him, but by the one spirit of God who can be given to him. And we see that, change in his life, that he was this way one moment, and after Christ, not Scrooge, but I'm speaking uh, illustratively, he was different. And we see the joy that he had. Remember in all of them, he picks up Tiny Tim and he's like dancing down the street. And he's like, and you get a turkey, and you get a turkey, and you get a turkey, right? And he's just giving things out. he's like, well, how much do you need for the poor? They have prisons, but let's get rid of that too. We'll write you a check, you know? And there's joy, there's real joy. And it's not just, it's not just because he just had a life or death experience and now he's, he's alive again. It's not that. Who who wrote that? Who wrote the Scrooge thing, the Christmas carol? (laughs) Charles Dickens stole from the Bible. That's what Dickens did. Here's what it says in Galatians. We're going to go through these quick. When James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars, so this is Paul getting ready to be sent out for ministry. He met with them, and he says, this was, their, this was their one thing that they said. They said, great, go to the Gentiles. Here's what I want you to do. They asked me to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do anyway. It's like, you didn't call me anything I wasn't planning on doing. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. Now, this is in 2 Corinthians 8. This is talking about receiving a gift and a blessing monetarily for another church somewhere else. And it's talking about these people in Macedonia who were poor. This was a poor section, Okay. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, not money, but because of their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into wealth and generosity on their part. They gave what they couldn't give because they counted the joy of the Lord of greater wealth than those measly things. for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means for their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When's the last time? When is the last time we begged God to allow us to give generously of anything? I don't know that I can claim a time for myself at all. So the point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is not even really a gospel about money altogether. Not a gospel at all, sorry. Sermon. This is a sermon about the danger of you being greedy of that which God has given you, of us being miserly of what God has given us, of us not trusting and making an idol of our own heart about the things that God has given and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. You See, this is not a sermon on giving. It's a warning against greed and the love of money and the desire of possessions. Psalm 37, 25, I'm gonna close with this. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five through 28 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. I'm going to repeat. This is David, King David. I've been young and now I'm old and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, it is often because of our lack of trust in you. It is often because of our lack of faith in you that we often in the idols of our heart are greedy. We suffer from avarice in our hearts over all kinds of things. Help us to be more generous with all that you have given to us. Make us good stewards of all that you have put into our accounts. We know that this avarice, this greed inevitably hurts us and those around us and that you desire us to be content with the gifts that you've given us and also that you have called us in Christ to cultivate generous hearts for your glory, for your name. To you we pray. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise.